Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can even call you that, that you have adopted us and we are your own. We ask that your name would be kept holy. And may your kingdom come soon. Would you bring the justice and the peace, the wholeness, the healing that comes with your kingdom. And may your will be done on earth, the little place of earth that our own two feet stand on. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. And some of us do need food or utility bills paid. Some of us need nothing less than resurrection because we're staring down into death. Some of us need healing. Some of us need direction and discernment. Some of us need an end to anxiety. Some of us just need to breathe freely. And so we ask you for what we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And teach us, lead us, guide us into the way of forgiveness. Father, don't let us yield to temptation. Protect us and guard us. Make us aware. And we ask you to rescue us from the evil one because we know that there is an enemy who desires only to steal and kill and destroy, and yet you desire to give life. So would you rescue us from death and all that death brings, and would you bring us into abundant resurrection life? And we trust not only that you can do these things, but you want to do these things. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be in Nehemiah. Last year, a year ago, a year and a half ago, we looked at the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at the last number of chapters five or six chapters um, over the next several weeks. And we're just calling this a series. The series is called uh, Finding Your Way Home. So I have some friends that have Bibles. And if you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, you can have one of these Bibles. Uh, if you just need to borrow one for, for the evening, you can. If you don't know where Nehemiah is, your Bible has a table of contents. Or you can Google it or whatever the case may be, okay? So I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. And uh, we find ourselves in chapter 8. So, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word, and you will learn why we do this in just a moment. So, 
hear the word of the Lord out of Nehemiah 8 this evening. I will be skipping around a little bit. In October, hey, that's this month. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Go to verse 5. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Go to verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and, and scribe, and the Levites, who, the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For listen, people, for the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with the people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of God for the people of God. And let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I have heard that when a natural disaster wipes out an area, there are two things that need to happen. The first thing that needs to happen is law enforcement goes and they secure the area so they can prevent, uh, they can prevent crime. They don't want violence or looting to take place. But the second thing that they do is they go in and they make sure the city goes in and it makes sure to put up all new street signs. This is a picture from just a few years ago when the tornadoes came through Moore, Oklahoma. It doesn't matter if you lived in Moore for 50 years. Once you go there, you have no idea where you are. It doesn't matter if you've lived in the area for a long time. You can't tell where you are. You have no idea where your house was or where your street is. And within minutes after a natural disaster, all landmarks that help establish location are gone. You know that tornadoes do this. We've heard that tsunamis do this. Just in recent days, we've heard that hurricanes do this. And you know what else does this? Epic battles. Everything after a battle is burned to the ground. There is nothing left. And this is what Jerusalem looked like after it was destroyed by the Babylonians and when they came and destroyed them there in 605 BC. It was the city of the people of God was unrecognizable. It had been destroyed. So after a hundred years in exile, the Jewish children have now been set free. They have been, they've been uh, uh, given the ability by Cyrus the Persian who has taken over the Babylonians to return to their homeland. They're allowed to go home to Jerusalem. 
So three men, leaders, God's men go about working to rebuild and restore this ruined city, this city that is just absolutely demolished. First, you have this governor of a Persian providence whose name is Zerubbabel, and he leads a group of Jews, 43,000 Jews, out of exile back home. And he had this assignment. He was to put together a team of people to rebuild the temple, which is their center of worship and religious identity. And then, almost 100 years later, another leader came along, and his name was Nehemiah, and you read out of Nehemiah tonight. He is a lay person, but he is a Hebrew child, and he is a person that is high in the Persian king's court. And he has seen what has happened to his city, and he's brokenhearted over the destruction of the city, and he sees that now that Zerubbabel has built this temple, it is vulnerable, and the people of the city are at risk. So he gets permission to lead a team, and he gets permission to have the resources to build the walls of that ancient city, So they are no longer vulnerable from the attack of their enemies. But Nehemiah has this vision. And he wasn't just interested in rebuilding the the city's defense system. He wanted to revitalize a spiritual community. Well, eventually this happens. The impossible happens. Nehemiah is able to rebuild the walls of this city. And then there is this third man. And he's also a leader, and his name is Ezra. The Bible tells us that he was a scribe, and he was an expert in the law. And when all was done, the people are now back home. Their temple is rebuilt. Their city is fortified, and it has the defense it needs so they they can begin to live again. Once they are safe again, and there is this place to worship, the people of God ask Ezra to do something that's remarkable. They ask him to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which we know as the first five books of our Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they asked him to read from it. And when he begins to read, they all stand up. And everyone listens, and everyone hears and then takes into their bodies what is being read. And for some, it was the first time that they had ever heard this before. And while they were standing and listening, the law was being established. Now, in our context, we don't like laws very much. Parental guidance, tax laws, policy manuals, codes of conduct, dress codes, rule books, they kind of fly in the face of our main cultural value as Americans, rugged individual, individualism. We don't like laws very much. And, and not only that, but from time to time, evil people can manipulate laws or, or create laws that extend power to a very few and, and take power from many. But this is different. What's happening here in this text is totally different. And these people have a different take. These are God's people, and this is God's law. And they heard as they stood together that God's law was just and God's law was protective. So they took a copy of this law and they celebrated it. I I don't know if you know this, but the Jewish people are, are known for throwing really, really good parties. 
And when the law was read, they would throw a party during the, during the reading of the law, before the reading of the law, and then after the reading of the law. There would be music, and they would song, and the, the, these parties would last for days. And, and there in the center, somebody would be reading the law, and somebody would come, and they would clutch it to their chest after the law was read, and they would dance with it. And they would hold it up like it was the Stanley Cup or the NCAA National Championship trophy. This was sacred to them. God had given them the law, and they saw it as a gift. The law demonstrated to them God's consistency and God's love for them, and it also demonstrated God's presence in their midst. So as Ezra is reading the law, all of a sudden, a new community is being established. It meant now that now that they had, now they had neighbors and now they had family, and now they had friends, and now there were job opportunities. There was a life for them. There was a future. This all came when the law was established. No longer would their lives be directed by some tyrant. No longer would a dictator have power over them. They were going to be, they were going to be ordered by law, a, a law that established justice and was established by a just and merciful God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but just laws are wonderful. When you have lived year after year after an, under the power of an evil dictator that reminds you daily, I am the law. And the people heard it, and they cheered. It was good news for them because they knew that when the law was read, it was the law of God, and their God had a name, and God's name was Yahweh. I am, I am the law. I am the justice that you long for. I am the protection you need. I am the first and the last word. I am the law. I am the authority. In his book, Your God is Too Safe, Mark Buchanan talks about this little space that sits between the two countries of Uganda and Kenya. And as you leave Uganda, you go through this little tiny town, a border town called Busia. But once you go through Busia, you're not in Kenya. Once you leave Uganda through Busia, you're not in Kenya. Busia, he says, is this place of crossing. You go through the Ugandan customs. You have to tip the guy with the machine gun who's waiting at the border, and then you step out into the into the you step out of the safe haven that is Uganda. But you do not find yourself in Kenya. Kenya is still another hundred or so yards away. It's complete with its own border town and its own border guard holding his own machine gun, and he is standing there ready to be tipped. Maybe this border guard will let you in, but maybe he won't. Maybe you have the right amount of money, but maybe you don't. Maybe, uh, maybe you have the right papers, but maybe not. Maybe he likes your face, but maybe he doesn't. He and he alone becomes the law. The border guard is the law. He has the ultimate authority. He and he alone decides. And if you can't get into Kenya, there's a chance that you are in a really bad place because you might not get back into Uganda either. You've left. 
And now that guard is one that has the ultimate authority. And on the other side, he and he alone decides. And so here you are between Uganda and Kenya in this place called Borderland. Now, borderland is no man's land. It's, a, it's this patch of ground that stands between two safe havens. It's not claimed or defended by either country. All laws are suspended there. There are no laws. You shoot a man, you rob him, you kill him, you beat him. All guards on either side will just stand there, unmoving, and watch it happen. And Buchanan says, it's a strange and frightening thing to walk through borderland. There are no laws to retain anyone from doing anything. But yet, what's amazing about borderland, this space between Uganda and Kenya, is it is thronged with people, peddlers, hawkers, beggars. It's a carnival, he says, of the wayward and the waylaid. And Jerusalem, in this text, has been borderland. And I might say that many of us have been in a kind of borderland as well. For some of us, the last several weeks have been difficult. Pastor Mikhail has already made mention, we know some of your stories, some of them we don't know. Some of you are dealing with tremendous loss, death, guilt, worry, fear, discouragement, disappointment. These are the things that people in our community are having to carry over the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of pain in our church right now, a lot of hard stuff going on. And today it's 2017 and we read this story again and we see ourselves in it. We, a people in exile, want to feel the security of home again. And, and I need this. That's my confession to you. This week I was part of a candlelight vigil for a young person that it appears took his life. I was with another person as he cried tears of regret standing in front of a judge. A third was in trouble and time and time again I heard, I wish things could go back to the way they were. This week I heard from adults I heard confessions of sin, worry about the future, embarrassment about events that have taken place. And we long for God to do something in our lives. We need to be reminded as we listen to this text that God is actively working on our behalf. We need to be reminded that God's name is I am. Nehemiah reminds us of this truth, that I am is establishing boundaries for our security and safety. I am is the law, and I am's law is just, and I am is just, is, his judgment is, is merciful. And in this text, as the people come out of exile into a home that they don't recognize, I am loves them. And I am works to bail them out. And I am never seems to give up on them. So this is our lesson tonight. As we gather and listen, I am has not given up on us either. I've got this student in my New Testament class that I teach at Southern Nazarene University. And he came up to, this, up to me this week and he was hot. He has, a pretty, uh, he has lived a pretty rough life, and the carpet has been jerked out from under him as he's been forced, because of a grade, forced to actually read parts of the New Testament. 
his theological kind of his structure is getting tipped over. And he said, as he, he didn't like what he was reading, he said, God is overwhelmingly kind. And I just can't stand that about God. I think you deserve your lot in life, but God is always trying to help you find a way out. And he's right. You know, uh, God seems, I am, seems to have a unique power in the universe. And while other gods can be manipulated or controlled or even a little bit emotionally unstable, this God is different. This God is marked by compassion and love, mercy, even in his judgment. And this God is absolutely consistent in that. He brings justice and he establishes peace. This God, I am, is forgiving. He creates out of nothing and he holds close those who are trying to survive as they reside beneath the underbelly of power and as they attempt to resist the evil that confronts them every day. This God goes to get those that have intentionally walked away from him. And Nehemiah reminds us, as we hear Ezra, the scribe, read these words, he reminds us that in the establishment of the law that I am is creative. An artist, I am makes something out of nothing. I am makes something good out of that which is bad. I am is slow to anger and abounding in love. I am seems to be a bit of a revolutionary. And just when we think we have him pegged, he's also kind of prickly, dangerous and wild and even demanding of us. And yet he, he enjoys his freedom and then he wants to spend his time setting others free as well. I am as forgiving and he seems to forgive over and over and over and over again as many times as needed. I am as a romantic calling himself a husband, speaking of courting his bride, dating her, wooing her with romance because she, you, are his deepest love. And because of it, 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 he even demonstrates this in, in his intense love, he, he shows intense love and tenderness and sacrifice. It's not just like of a husband, but also as a father. I am shows up constantly in strange places, bushes, water, fire, clouds, and in mountains, and in animals. I am is, is with the prisoner, the hungry, the sick, the addict, the lonely. And when you and I are in borderland, I am that I am is I am for us. So the people gather and Ezra reads this law out loud, but he does something interesting. He does it in a way to explain what it means so that everyone can understand. And he reads through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they stay all day, and they hear a story about a God named I Am who called Abraham, who saved Isaac, who wrestled with J Jacob, they heard about a God that saved a country by using a jailbird called Moses. That he delivered slaves through a murderer, excuse me, a jailbird called Joseph. That he delivered slaves through a murderer named Moses. And that God gave them a future through a leader named Joshua. They heard these stories. 
And in the midst of these stories, a law was established for their good, for their protection. And above everything else, while that was happening, they are listening to these stories, and a law is being, a law is being established. They're given this command. Don't forget about this God named I Am. So these people, they make this commitment to tell these stories about this God, to talk about his character and his actions and the way he has showed up in their lives so that when they are in borderland again, they will remember. They talked about it around campfires and crockpots. They told stories when they were needle, doing needlepoint and kneading dough. They told these stories waking and walking and working. And when they told these stories, it was as if this God, the I am, this freedom fighter, this revolutionary, this loving husband, this romantic, this gentle, gentle father was in their midst again. And Ezra reads these words out loud to a group of people who have come home to borderland. And at first there is a small murmur in the crowd. They can hear it just for, for a moment, but before long, becomes compelling, and people start talking, and within a few minutes, the place is in an uproar, and folks are on their feet, and they're chanting, amen and amen. May it be so. Could it be? Might this be happening, that the same God who worked in our past might be the God who is working our present in order to take us into the future that God is creating for us? They lifted their hands, they fell down in disbelief, and they began to worship this God. And the stories of their parents were being told, and then they were being lived out in real time right before their eyes. They were being invited out of borderland. And so are we. For, for, the, for, the, for us, those of us who are in borderland, it is an impossibility to move out of this place of lawlessness into, into a place of love and security and safety and care on our own. It's impossible for, for us to do this, uh, to move out of this place into a place where there is authority. Authority by the one who stands and says, I, I am. Now, all four Gospels, they talk about this. Matthew says, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Mark says that Jesus is the very Son of God. Luke claims that Jesus is the evidence of salvation for everyone. And combine what you've got, and John explicitly says, Jesus of Nazareth is the I am you have been waiting for. Jesus himself in the gospel said, I am the bread that fills you. I am the light of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. Before even Abraham, I am. Now, this is a little literary trick going on here. 
We've heard him say this before, I am the way. Certainly Jesus is the path. He's the path to God. But that's not exactly what's happening here. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the one who brings freedom and forgiveness. Or I am truth. His words of love are true. He is the God whose person is expressed in honesty and love and faithfulness. I am life and he wants to provide life for us. He is our future. He is the healing. He is the hope that we need. And this is why we cheer. This is why we celebrate because Jesus, the I am, is the can be for us. So today, I'd like to invite you to let him be the I am for you. Listen to what Nehemiah says and what he records. Then Nehemiah, after the people had heard this, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting this for all the people, interpreting this good news for all the people, they said this, do not mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the law of the Lord. And then Nehemiah continued, go, you should go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Do not be dejected and be sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? So Lord, I look at my friends here in this room, the people of Midtown Church, and I ask that you would be the I am that they need. Would you help us in faith and in trust, even in the situations we find ourselves in, even when borderlands seem so real, know that you are now the new authority. You are now the new law. That your law is just and that you are good and that you are loving. Could we trust that perhaps you are a revolutionary, so revolutionary in fact, that you will act consistently in our lives making sure that even when we wander from you, you come and get us. Would you be the bread we need, the light of our lives? Would you be the good shepherd that protects us? Would you be our way? Would you be our truth? Would you be our life? Would you be the I am that can be for us? This is what we pray this is what we hope for, so that there would be a day in which we, like the people in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, would sing and shout and celebrate with feasts of rich foods and sweet drink and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared because we know that the day in which you become the I am is a sacred day for us and we no longer have to be dejected and sad. For the Lord our God is our strength. This we pray, and we pray it together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. These stories 
that are in Nehemiah and Ezra that they talked about in their day. They shaped the people, uh, they shaped the people, and the law was rooted in their stories. And as a result of these stories and this law, the people then began to take on certain, uh, a certain kind of character. And in this, God began to do something in them. God began to use law and story to form them into a spiritual community, an alternative kind of community that, that proclaimed this hope to others. It was a community that the world had never seen before. And in this community, they began to love the stranger. They began to care for the orphan and the widow in their midst. They put God first. They honored this God. They did not kill people when they got mad or abuse their neighbor's wife or take stuff that wasn't theirs. They edified one another in speech and focused on seeing the good of their neighbor. And this community and these practices held this community through some pretty, pretty tough times. And these are the practices that are going to hold us through some pretty tough times as well. And when the times got their worst, they would say to one another, do not forget that I am is I am. So this is what we do. This is our practice. And we even say it this way. This is why we remember that on the night before Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save, the embodiment of this God, the embodiment of the I am, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you and whenever you eat it, don't forget, you should remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new law established. And whenever you drink this, you should do this in affectionate remembrance of me. Don't forget. So here in worship, we do the same. Anybody who is open to this new way of God in Christ, anyone who yields to the I am is invited to Jesus' table. I want you to come down this aisle and I want you to know that there are no barriers so our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. But when you come, come with your hands cupped. Come down our center aisle and be ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. Uh, approach one of these servers. Allow them to say some things to you. Be mindful of what they say so that you do not forget. Then dip the bread into the cup be thankful. You, my friends, are no longer in borderland. For any reason you cannot make it down our aisle, just wave at Justin over here and he will come and he will serve you. So when you are ready, please come.